entering the Freedom Hut. A fantastic State of the Union address from President Trump last night lays out what he is trying to accomplish in the coming year and also how the Democrats are going to try to stop him using whatever tactics at their disposal, but also a massive political crisis in the state of Virginia that calls into question whether the Democrats have any scruples at all. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters. With actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I am asking you to choose greatness. No matter the trials we face, no matter the challenges to come, we must go forward together. We must keep America first in our hearts. We must keep freedom alive in our souls. And we must always keep faith in America's destiny. That one nation, under God, must be the hope and the promise and the light and the glory among all the nations of the world. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless America. Thank you very much. Thank you. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. The president absolutely nailed it last night. He nailed it. And we will do a bit more in-depth analysis later on in the show of some of what he said. I was there at the Trump Hotel with a lot of friends. It's really a social visit. Did a little bit of live tweeting, which was always always fun. President did a great job last night. Um, we'll talk about some of the policy specifics. Of course, the media unhinged media reaction. That's all coming up. I, I want to put that on a pause, though, for a moment, because I know that a lot of you, first of all, probably don't even stay at the union address. Interesting to you, but only in small doses. And also, you've probably had a chance to read and hear about it throughout the course of the day. So we will get to it, but I want to I want to just put a hold on that for a moment and focus on a different story, really series of stories that is causing huge problems for the Democrats. Now, you'll recall that over the weekend, because there's there's new developments on all three of these today. You will recall that over the weekend there was this uh, new story about Ralph Northam in Virginia, the governor of Virginia who had this photo on his yearbook page from when he was a medical student at Eastern Virginia uh, Eastern Virginia Medical School of him in blackface and standing next to a Klansman. So just really grotesquely racist stuff. I mean, true racism, right? I mean, truly beyond the pale stuff. Not the not the maybe kind of sort of racism the Democrats often talk about. I mean, this is the real deal racism, right? This is real deal racism. And he had this bizarre, oh, uh, I'm, it was me. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, I don't think it was me. I'm not going to resign. All these Democrats said he should resign. And I, I would be willing to, if it were up to me, perhaps forgive, although I do think Democrats should be forced to live under the draconian and often unfair rules they make the rest of us live by, I would perhaps be able to move beyond 
if he said he was sorry, it was 30 some odd years ago, it was a photo and, you know, he's lived a very different life since then. And that's not what he thinks now. I, I would be willing to move, but I'm not willing to move beyond that's not me in the photo because we're not all morons and we should not be spoken to by a senior government official from a very important state like we're all a bunch of idiots. I'm just not OK with that. OK, that's where the Northam controversy still stands okay he he is he is a an unethical liar notice how how rarely that term is being used they always tell us trump lies oh trump said that you know he's the best negotiator he's a liar that's an opinion it's not a lie we'll get into the fake fact checking of the fake news later but oh trump said that you know he he does the he does the best deals trump says that he's got the best hair fact check false yours truly has something to say about this. No, but really, Trump says things and they, they claim that it's a lie. It's false. OK. Uh, where are the people that are jumping on Northam for not just the racist photo, but for lying about what is clearly a photo of him? I mean, it, uh, this is this is like it reminds me, I think it was a long time ago, an SNL sketch. And this just kept running through my mind where um they did this whole bit where O.J. Simpson was in the courtroom and they asked somebody on the witness stand to identify O.J. And when the person tried to point at O.J., he hid under the desk and his defense attorney, Johnny Cochran, was saying, you know, let the record show that uh, he pointed uh, at somebody in the back of the room, uh, not at my client. You know, this is that that by hiding from the person pointing in the courtroom that he was avoiding being identified as as a double murderer, which is, as we know, what O.J. Simpson was and got away with it. Um that's kind of what Nor- Nor- Northam's at that level. It's like, oh, it's not me. I just can't remember. All right. But Northam is only one, one piece of this Democrat terribleness tripod. This triumvirate of terrible that the Democrats have assembled for us in Virginia is crumbling. You have Northam. You also have Fairfax. Fairfax is the lieutenant governor. And I want you to keep in mind as we work through this that the way the state of Virginia, and I'm sure this is true in most states, the way the government works is top is the governor. Lieutenant governor would take over if the governor had to step down or leave or whatever. And then the state the state attorney general is below the lieutenant governor. Oh, we're going to get, we're going to get to the state attorney general for Virginia because he's now a part of this too. Um, then... You have Fairfax, and he's the one that I think is is probably in the great, the, the most dire jeopardy, um, because the allegation against him is a criminal allegation, not just a bad judgment racism allegation. It's a criminal allegation that about 15 years ago, he sexually assaulted a woman, essentially forced a woman who he met while out on the campaign, out at a campaign event of some kind, to uh, perform a sex act on him. That she forced, she, that he forced her to do this against her will, and she was crying. And she is now out there. She is named uh, Vanessa Tyson. Is the uh, is the individual here? She has come forward. She has hired attorneys. She. This is an encounter that both parties agree happened. They know each other. They had a sexual interaction. Um, you know, th- th- this is something that 
there's it's certainly plausible. And, in, you know, I can't say if it's probable, but I can tell you that it's plausible, meaning that there's no reason why this sexual assault clearly did not happen and it very well may have happened. I can't adjudicate this properly. No one can adjudicate this properly without additional facts, but this is to be taken seriously. This is a real allegation of a sexual assault, of a man using force against a woman to make her do something to perform a sex act that she did not want to. And, you know, she has come forward. She released a statement today that he assaulted her in 2004. And NBC News reported earlier today that Fairfax said of his accuser, blank that B word. Um, So that gives you a sense of where this guy's mindset is. You know, that's, you know, this is not somebody who, I think uh, many of us, let, let's just put it this way. Imagine if it had ever come out, because Kavanaugh is the standard here. They created this world. They've made this world. Now they should have to live in it. The Kavanaugh allegation, the first one, was not even credible. It was not plausible. It was unbelievable to think that this woman knew these specifics about an incident that she couldn't remember anything else about. And the seasoned, and the media, of course, dropped this, the seasoned sex crimes prosecutor who sat down and interviewed her very straightforward, not aggressive fashion, said, yeah, this would not have even, this would not have even led to an arrest. They had nothing on Kavanaugh, nothing. The second woman couldn't even remember it herself, so I don't even know how that's an allegation. The third woman was a straight-up psycho fabricator. Liar. But the media said that she, she, any of them had a right to be believed that Blasey Ford was some kind of a hero to, to women everywhere. The media said she had a right to be believed and that she was not to be questioned and that her word was good enough. I need to understand where the media is now that you have a man who is a politician in the state of Virginia, a senior politician, second in command in the state. And he has a a credible allegation of sexual assault against him from when he was an adult 15 years ago. By the way, I don't know what the statute of limitations is in Virginia for this, but uh, they are treating this like, well, we don't know yet. Now, all of a sudden, the journalistic even handedness and skepticism and other things. Now they all kick in because a Democrat has been accused. This is disgusting hypocrisy. And this is why people like me, during the whole Kavanaugh debacle, when they were destroying due process, just just destroying justice. I mean, they were slowly torturing justice in front of all of us. That's what the Democrats, including Democrats like Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, who think that they should be the next president. That's what they did on TV and in front of the whole country. Someone needs to explain to me how Fairfax should not get the Kavanaugh treatment from the media. And the answer is they have they they cannot explain it other than to say, well, it's our guy now. This exposes what disgusting, rotten cowards most of the me- mainstream media are. This is who they are. They pretend to care about women. They pretend to care about sexual assault. They pretend to care about justice and they just 
use all of those things for their own purposes and abandon them the moment that it's inconvenient. But wait, there's more. Turns out that uh, there's more than one senior official in the state of Virginia who has a problem with showing up at parties in blackface. Mark Herring is the attorney, uh, the state attorney for Virginia. Virginia, uh, sorry, Virginia Attorney General. Let me make sure I get the title correct. Uh, He has now come out, the Washington Post report on this says that, guess what? When he was in college, he wore blackface. Now, you might say to me, hold on a second, Buck. You know, let, let's let's not just start start throwing everybody on the bonfire here because of what they did a long time ago. And those. OK, and some of you are probably like, no, Buck, that's unacceptable. Well, let me say this. Herring. Was one of the people calling for Northam to resign over his blackface photo. You can't make this stuff up. So now you have the number three official for the state of Virginia who had just days ago said the number one state official for Virginia should resign because of a blackface photo. Number three had to admit that he wore blackface and one of the most just obvious and and disgraceful things to the media. You know what they were calling this today? They were referring to it initially as Attorney General, Virginia Attorney General Mark Herring claims that he wore, quote, dark makeup to a party in college. Oh, so when a Democrat wears blackface, it's dark makeup. They've since updated it because they were getting hammered. I mean, I mean, the New York Times and some of these major organizations, dark makeup or or brown colored makeup was what some I couldn't. I said, you guys, this is why people hate the media. These are activists. They have infiltrated the apparatus of news gathering and dissemination. They've overtaken journalism the same way they've overtaken Hollywood. They are dishonest. They are scummy. And we need to fight back. This Virginia situation, this this could result in theoretically a Republican becoming the governor of Virginia. I don't think that will happen because the Democrats have no scruples. But talk about a bad week for the Democratic Party in the state of Virginia. When Terry McAuliffe is the most, uh, or let's just say the least distasteful when it comes to ethics, a politician in your state, wow, you've got problems. Uh, we have so much more show coming. As I said, we'll get into dive into some of the State of the Union and And I have uh, other things to add into the mix as well. So, team, it's going to be a great show. Stay with me. Lawmakers in New York cheered with delight upon the passage of legislation that would allow a baby to be ripped from the mother's womb moments from birth. These are living, feeling, beautiful babies who will never get the chance to share their love and their dreams with the world. And then we had the case of the governor of Virginia, where he stated he would execute a baby after birth to defend the dignity of every person. I am asking Congress to pass legislation to prohibit 
the late-term abortion of children who can feel pain in a mother's womb. That's your president, everybody. Giving a speech last night that I think anyone, any one of us uh, should be proud of. And on an issue where the separation, the moral separation between the two political sides in this country could not be more apparent or more of an imperative. It is not lost on me that the reason that we know at this point, all this stuff, it seems at least, that it's come out about Northam and Fairfax and now um, this uh, Herring, Attorney General for uh, Virginia, the reason we know it is because of Northam's comments about that Virginia legislature bill that would have said that would have made it legal to kill a baby all the way up to the moment of, of birth. You know, women's women's having contractions, you know, water breaks still. Le- and people who say that that would never happen. Let me just shoot that down. One, we cannot have laws that allow murder. Whether the murder is likely to happen or not, we cannot have laws that legalize murder because then we have codified immorality at the, at the, in, on the most important of issues into our society. And if you're going to allow for that in this instance, there's opportunity to expand it into other instances as well. Other areas of life will suffer if life is not protected at all points. But for all those who claim to be conservative, claim to be such stalwart and principled Republicans, I hear the president's speech last night. I think about what he has done, what he has signed, who he has appointed, what he is pushing and using his bully pulpit to try and accomplish. And I think, where is the conservative uh, rage against this coming from. And I think that unfortunately, increasingly, it comes from people who have made common cause with the very same Democrats who want to murder babies in New York and Virginia and anywhere else for that matter and cover for people like Fairfax and Northam and Warren. holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Uh, you believe that the governor's team is spreading misinformation about your team. Can you comment on that? Please? You know, I, I don't know uh, precisely where this is coming from. I, you know, we've heard uh, different things, but but here's the thing. Uh, does anybody think it's any coincidence that on the eve uh, of potentially uh, my being elevated, that that's when this uncorroborated smear comes out? Does anybody believe that's a coincidence? Uh, I don't I don't think anybody believes that's a coincidence. It goes away uh, for a year and then crops back up right at this moment. Uh, you don't have to be uh, cynical. Uh, you don't have to understand politics uh, to understand when someone's trying to manipulate uh, a process to uh, to harm someone's character without any basis whatsoever. That's Fairfax again. That's the lieutenant governor of Virginia. And remember, he was after the Northam controversy broke out. He was somebody that was already being talked about as a very, you know, fit and excellent replacement for Northam. So the Democrats thought, oh, you know, if we got to lose Northam, 
you know, who's kind of a guy who's not exactly lighting the world on fire, kind of, you know, just sort of deal. This guy's here and he pretends to be all nice. Turns out he actually fights really dirty. But, you know, they, they want to get rid of Northam. They want Fairfax in. Well, now it turns out Fairfax got a big problem because the whole Me Too movement, which we know is already, and I said this from the earliest days of it, that it was going to be weaponized against Republicans and it was weaponized against Kavanaugh. But not only do we see that it was to use to be used for that political purpose, explicitly partisan political purpose. There's this additional layer now that we have to take into account, which is that it is a standard. The any accusation from a woman should be met with consequences to the individual. Even if they're not necessarily legal consequences, although they can be, there should be professional and reputational consequences from the accusation alone. That is the standard the Democrats set up during Kavanaugh, and they are abandoning that standard now. Now that standard is all of a sudden not fair. Well, it never was fair. But when it was useful for them, they pretended that it was. Now, what happens with all of this? That's, that's the question that a lot of people are asking. And I, I got to this a little bit before the break. If you had these three Democrats all resign, uh, you would have a Republican governor of Virginia with the 2020 election looming. Virginia is a battleground state. There's just, there's no way the Democrats are going to allow that. But then what you have is who is to be sacrificed? They've already had the Democrats, uh, senior Democrats calling for Northam to step down. He hasn't stepped down. Uh, you had uh, Warren. I'm sorry, no, not not Warren. I keep I keep getting this guy's Herring. Pardon me. We're going to talk about Warren in a minute. Mark Herring say that Northam should step down when now we find out that Herring was guilty of the exact same conduct around the same time. So how, how can he keep his job if Northam goes? Doesn't Herring have to go? And forget whether or not you agree with with that standard. That is the standard that the left has in place. If you have a racist incident in your past like this and you're a Republican, you should go. So, you know, that means that anybody who has this sort of incident, we should say, all right, I guess you got to go. So if Northam goes, doesn't Herring have to go? And if neither Northam nor Herring go... What does that say about the Democrats' willingness to police racist behavior from people's backgrounds? You know, are, are we still going to listen to them say, oh, what, what about what Trump said this time or that time on, on a racial issue and, and act like and, and we're supposed to take them seriously as though they really care about underlying racially insensitive language or racially insensitive conduct when they're willing to justify this stuff or say that there should be no consequences for this? But if one or both of them leave, you're going to have Fairfax, who's been accused by a woman on the record. She's named. Something happened. I mean, they had a sexual encounter. This isn't like some some person who's just fabricating a, a crazy tale, which is what happened to Kavanaugh. How does this play out? Hey, Producer Mike, I know you've been running D.C. What do you think happens here, man? What's what's your take on this one? I don't know, man. It it was it's it's one of the crazier stories I've seen in a long time. One, two, three. What are the chances? Yeah, yeah uh, I think three 
you know, the, the, I mean, this is the equivalent of the state of Virginia. If you had the president, the vice president, the mm-hmm. speaker of the House all about to resign. Yeah. At the federal level. That's what's happening right now in Virginia. I think that they all stick it out. I think none of them resign. Right. And that the Democrats just rely on the media apparatus that's in their pocket and just the just the complete lack of ethics the Democratic Party thrives on. I, I think they just they just stick with it. What do you think, man? I think that they're all going to stay. I agree. It's going to be interesting to see who they rally behind, because now that it's, you know, all three are in hot water, um, they can't let this go Republican. They can't. So somebody's okay. going to have to. Uh... Dude, is is Cash is Cash hanging out? <laughs> Cash knows yeah, that you're on the radio and he he's does. trying to get. Yeah. Hey, you know, Cash, is, is he putting his demo tape out there for the, yeah. for the program director? Actually, he's putting country? actually he's putting his Paul in the race for uh, governor of, of Virginia. So I mean, he's like, hey. I, he's like, if those guys are such idiots, I can do it. If they if they if they all get to stay, you know, Cash Cash has got an interesting point that he makes there. But anyway, you got to get him a, a little a little chewy bone or something so he can he can hang out. Um, obviously, Mike's Mike's up in New York right now. I'm down here in uh, in the swamp in, in D.C. I think that uh, I think that this thing is going to this thing is going to be a real problem for the Democrats because they're not going to at least when a resignation occurs, there's some sense that there's finality or maybe not justice, but there's been action taken. They're not they they can't take any action here because if one of them goes, all of them goes pretty much. The only one that I guess you could say, you know, shouldn't under Democrat standards be forced to step down is Fairfax. But keep in mind that. And I'm pro Fairfax being able to make his case publicly, and I believe in due process. And I want to be very clear about that. I'm just applying the left standard to these three cases. I'm applying the Democrats' standard to these three individuals. These are not my standards necessarily. But I also no longer think that we can we can let this stuff go where there's a different standard for Republicans and there's for Democrats. I just think that people have had enough. And the only way this stuff stops is if we force the other side to live under the rules that they make us live under. If our politic, if our expectations for politicians are the same across the board, then maybe we can have a discussion about, you know, forgiveness and mercy and uh, repentance. These are important concepts, not just as Christians and as good human beings, but in public life. That's okay. We don't need to expect. Now, I'm not talking about the sexual assault here, but I'm talking about these other guys that have these uh, these you know racist incidents from their past. I mean, it was 30 years ago. I was a baby when this stuff was happening. You know, this goes back quite a long ways. And and if people are going to say, well, Buck, they did something racist when they were 18 or 19 years old 30 years ago, does that mean they can they never hold a job? Are they never allowed to to Are they not allowed to have lives afterwards? I mean, how far? How extreme? is the public punishment and shaming of racist conduct from a long time ago. And you know, and there's also a sense of scale that we should take into account here, right? When I'm saying racist conduct, we're not talking about cross burnings on front someone's lawn with a threat of violence and you know, or, or actual violence. You know, there's this there's a scale here. This isn't like they they attacked somebody and beat them to death because of their, you know, that's a, that's a heinous crime that, you know, you need to pay your debt to society for that. That, that never goes away. We're talking about essentially really stupid and, uh, and insensitive racist college pranks. Okay. So we need to keep this in, keep this in the context. 
But I think they're all going to stay and they're going to rely on. And this is why, I, you know, Fairfax, when he said that he thought that Northam, maybe he indicated that he thought maybe Northam or maybe uh, Herring leaked this information about him. They all realized that, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when, when you owe the bank a million dollars, the bank owns you. When you owe the bank a billion dollars, you own the bank. The Democrat Party can't afford to lose all three of these guys. So they kind of all point the finger at each other and say, hey, you know, if you're going to get rid of someone, get rid of that guy. And as a result, no guy, I think, is going to step down and leave. What a disaster, though. Democrats. I haven't even talked about socialism. <laughs> I haven't even talked about some of that stuff from from last night, which I also want to spend a bit of time on. And, and with that in mind, actually, why don't we just take a moment? Because this is, I think... Going to the State of the Union uh, here, this was one of those those moments where you saw the real separation between what Trump and the Republicans stand for and what the Democratic Party is more obviously standing for now than ever before. This fight over socialism is a fight over the, the trajectory over the future of this country, a very important one. Here's what Trump said last night in the State of the Union. Play five. Here in the United States... We are alarmed by the new calls to adopt socialism in our country. America was founded on liberty and independence and not government coercion, domination and control. We are born free and we will stay free. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. Ten years ago, that statement, at least publicly, would have, I I think, received universal support publicly from both parties. Last night, Democrats wouldn't wouldn't stand, wouldn't support it. Democrat Party in this country is the Socialist Party. They don't call themselves that, but they're a Socialist Party. Look at European Socialists and, and what they advocate for, and look at what Democrats advocate for here. The Democratic Party is the party of socialism. People are figuring this out, and there's more honesty about this even from the Democrats themselves because they think that this perhaps is their moment. I think that they're waiting for some kind of an economic, not collapse, but at least reversal in the Trump era and then they'll strike. Then they'll say, see, this whole free market, this, this idea of, of American prosperity that unshackled by the government will just continue to bring us all up and, and make us wealthier and freer and happier than ever before. That's all a mirage. Give the government more power. Let the government make these decisions for you. And let the government take from those who owe you something Because the left and the Democrats say they do. That's a very scary place for this country to go. And I think that is where we are heading if the Democrats manage to take back power. And Trump made that case eloquently, forcefully, and brilliantly last night. We'll be right back. 
about tribal citizenship and tribal sovereignty and for harm caused. I am also sorry for not being more mindful of this uh, decades ago. Tribes and only tribes determine tribal citizenship. I had a good conversation with Chief Baker. He was very gracious and uh, we continued to talk about issues and continue to work on issues that matter deeply to Indian country. So that's the Elizabeth Warren update here, folks. Pocahontas, Pocahontas herself. Uh, She has another little problem to handle. It's not just her her DNA test that we all know show that she is uh, 1,024th Native American. I believe less Native American than me based on my brother's DNA results that he told me about recently. So... Producer Mike, any any Native American DNA in your background? Not that I know, but I if I do, it's probably more than Elizabeth Warren. I, I think that's probably true. Brandon, you got some Native American DNA? I don't think so. We did our family tree in fourth grade. With your beard, dude, you've almost got like a Viking level beard. So <laughs> that's that's legit. Um, no, but here's the thing: Elizabeth Warren uh, wrote on her. Texas State Bar application that she was, that this was handwritten and it, it's in her handwriting, that she was an American Indian. My friends, they've tried to cover for her so much. They've tried so hard to make it seem like, oh, it was just a little nothing. It was just a little nothing. You know, it was just like the equivalent of a server in the basement with 100 plus classified emails on it. You know, nothing. It was a little nothing. That she put she was Native American when she was uh, at Harvard. It wasn't nothing. Her career is built on racial fraud. There are bright, neon, flashing signs here. We're all aware of it. Who goes through life for no apparent reason in their professional life harping on this fact? I mean, really promoting the fact that they're a, a, quote, American Indian when they're not even a little bit American Indian. Who does that? Who does that? You know, if I had gone around for the last 20 years of my life and at every moment of my of my political or of my professional life made sure that everybody knew that I was, in fact, a, a, you know, Samoan. And there were clearly incentives for me to be Samoan for diversity programs and other things. And then people found out that I was not, in fact, in any way, shape, or form Samoan. I think, not to pick on Samoa, lovely place, but, you know, I think that this would be a problem for me. I don't think people would just skip past this. Look, she, and I don't, Rutgers is a fine institution. I I do not, I, I hate school elitism. I think that it's built on crap and garbage. But just to be detectives here and be honest, Elizabeth Warren, or JD from Rutgers, as I understand it, I believe she's JD from Rutgers, I think she's probably the only she would have been the only, fem- I mean, the only uh, Caucasian professor at Harvard Law School who went to Rutgers, which is a state university for New Jersey. She gamed the system, folks. She's a fraud. She's she's a fraud, and she. You want to talk about it. if there is such a thing as cultural appropriation, which, as I've said, there isn't. But let's just say there, if there is such a thing as cultural appropriation, it is pretending to be from another race and culture for the purposes of professional gain. Warren's got no shot. I don't even know if she's going to make it to the uh, primary. I don't even think, I think she might have to just bow out. 
It's just too hard to defend her. And look at Democrats. They're already stretched thin with all of the double standards and the hypocrisy and the unethical behavior that they have to try to prop up and pretend is not a problem. I think Elizabeth Warren's in trouble here. I think she may be uh, on the way out of this race uh, for 2020. I also think that uh, we need to talk more about the State of the Union address and get into some specifics about the media reaction to it, the polling, how it went, and uh, much, much more coming up, team. So uh, the show is just getting started. Stay with me. Global Verification Network, my friends. It is the only dual-certified and veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company out there. And, you know, this is a really important part of leasing out a property that you have or hiring anybody, anybody that you're going to work with or anybody you're going to be doing business with, you need to have background checks done. And why not go with a veteran-owned, operated, and founded small business that understands how to do this for a business of any size? Because they are the risk mitigation experts that I trust the most. No, None of your data or client information is ever offshored, and all employees are located here in the States. A lot of those other background check companies will send your stuff overseas for some other foreign company to deal with. Call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. Or go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com. He misstates the situation on Iran, misstates what the reality is about the INF Treaty and Russia. The phrase theater of the absurd is running through my head. A psychotically incoherent speech with cookies and dog poop. How can anyone see this as a good speech? How can anyone see this as unifying when he is spewing out lies to the American people? The speech was just packed with lies. Donald Trump raised to a new level the demagoguery, the hyperbole, the chauvinism. We already know this guy. No matter how much kumbaya. It was so grandiose and over the top, it was brown scare. Did not mention climate change in even a sentence is just frankly a disgrace. Someone with absolutely no attachment to anything he says. Trump talking about unity is like Jack the Ripper talking about banning knives. <laughs> the media is crazy. I mean, I, I know for some of you, you're probably like, Buck, stop. Stop playing these clips of these media loot. But you got to know, folks, you got to be exposed to how insane. What speech were they watching? What State of the Union address were they referring to? Because no intelligent human being could have watched that speech last night and come away saying, what did Van Jones say? Like it was psychotic and, and cookies and rainbows or something. I mean, what? Van Jones said some nonsense about it. I was surprised Rick Santorum, who is allegedly a conservative and a Republican, said that it was the worst speech Trump has ever given. Now, I know CNN can do bad things to a person, but yeah, what is Rick Santorum thinking? I mean, the public came away from it overwhelmingly understanding that it was a it was a great speech. It was as good as a state of the union address could have been, should have been, needed to be. Checked all the boxes. I, I See, I don't think a State of the Union address is some kind of a game changer. I don't think anybody who pays close attention to politics does. But to watch that speech and to think that there was anything about it that was off, offbeat, off-tone, um, somehow, you know, not, not enough, insufficient, or, or 
what those people were saying, that whole media montage you played for you, just, oh, how negative they were and how, you know, they they just don't get it. This Trump hatred has just infected their minds. And it's so weird because there are things that I could understand them criticizing the president on, opposing the president on. But to say that speech was terrible and and all, all this nastiness around it, they just sound petty. They sound petty and small. I mean, if you if you want to know, you know, where I think, you know, if you want to know where I think the the biggest issue I have with the speech was the length. I'm I'm kind of a stickler for this stuff. I have a, a theory, and the theory is that wedding toasts, and really toasts in general, but wedding toasts, sixty seconds or less. State of the Union address, sixty minutes or less. I do not want to have to sit there for more than an hour while, you know, so much of it is just applause and people clapping and and all all this stuff. No, 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 no. Not necessary. You can get it done in 60 minutes or less. Think about what a how much more effective I would say the messaging is if it were condensed to 30 or 40 minutes. You'd really be able to remember a lot more of it, you know, with the sitting and the standing and, oh, who was standing and who was sitting? I kind of wanted Trump to make a, a shout out to Karl Marx just to see if he could get Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to stand for something. She was very unhappy. All these women, they're white for, you know, suffrage, uh, women's suffrage movement and all this stuff. Oh, you know, I, I would uh, I'd have to say I'd be more inclined to celebrate the female contingent of the of the Congress that is that has just been seated if they weren't a bunch of loony radical maniacs that are uh, in favor of unrestricted abortion for nine months of a pregnancy and socialism and i mean all kinds of stuff Ooh, bad news bad news but uh, you know, the, the the polling on this is all very clear uh, anyone who's watching this honestly would have to come away and say that it was a very very effective speech for the president. Uh, it, it got the job done. Do I think that it changes much? No. Will they hate him less? No, of course not. But, you know, it also reminds me, and there are a few things that are just kind of a personal feeling. All this stuff about how Obama was so brilliant and Obama was so amazing. I used to always say, the moment you got Obama off prompter, it was really a lot of, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, all, you know, really not compelling, not not particularly charismatic off the cuff, not insightful. People say, oh, he gives such a good. You know, some people, they, they would say that he had this, you know, incredible, you know, yeah, he was good at, at giving a speech that was written for him. But he was not good at just letting it rip. Not good. Not really that good on the stump. I mean, I, I was always pretty unimpressed. And I just think it's funny because, you know, no one ever says, wow, when Trump's on prompter, he's so amazing. He's just as effective as Obama was for his own side. Right. I mean, Obama was very effective for Democrats. I heard what he was saying. And on the content side, I'm like, this is just blather. But Trump is every bit the the showman and then some that Obama was giving a, a scripted speech. But, you know, the media, ne- they never give him credit for anything. They never give him credit for anything. You know, they they were are so invested in trying to tear him down. And that's why their their analysis of this was just delusional. I mean, there was nothing nasty. There's nothing mean, uh, nothing uh, that was, you know, meant to 
tear other people down in some vicious way. Wow, interesting. State of the Union numbers here. Fox News, 11 million people watched. NBC, 7 million. CBS, 6 million. ABC, 5. Uh, and then MSNBC, 3.8 million. CNN, 3.4 million. Interesting. Um, I was last, uh, last night I was at the, the Trump Hotel, uh, which is a gathering place for a lot of uh, a lot of people who are favorable to MAGA, who are pro MAGA, they will hang out at the Trump Hotel. It's a nice place to to go spend some time. Very expensive. I would not recommend going to get lunch in there, but it's a nice place to spend some time because you will often in D.C. in the swamp end up seeing people that are are our people. How else do I put it? Uh, they're conservatives. They they believe in in the and that's the only place I can think of. You're more likely to find people who are conservatives in the Trump hotel lobby than you are walking around on Capitol Hill. I can tell you I can tell you that. And uh, it was just it was nice last night to see a bunch of uh, what people from the Blaze Media were there and uh, lots of different journalists that I know, you know, conservative journalists that I know were there. And I can tell you it was funny because whenever they they have this it's a huge space uh, i know a lot of you probably haven't had a chance to go if you ever come to dc it's it's worth it maybe one day we can do a team buck meetup in the trump hotel lobby uh, but there's this enormous soaring lobby lounge area and the ceilings must be a hundred feet high or something i mean they're way up there and they have these massive screens in this bar at one side with these big screens and there's a restaurant at one end and the bar with the big screens at the other. And they turned on Trump, giving the State of the Union the screens. And then the whole sound system for the entire hotel was turned to the Trump speech. You must have had 500 to 1,000 people in this lobby just watching the speech as it happened. But it was just funny because every time the, the camera would pan to Pelosi or to Ocasio-Cortez, boo, boo. I mean, the boos would break out. It, it was amusing. I mean, it was just, it was an entertaining situation. Um, it was something that I think, you know, as we look at politics and have all these serious moments and, and have to get get into some very intense topics, it was uh, it was funny last night to see people, a little bit of the atmosphere of a sporting event. Hey, it was better viewing than the Super Bowl. I'm just saying it was better viewing than the Super Bowl, more entertaining than that Super Bowl, which was may have been the most boring football game I've ever seen. And that includes, you know, D three Amherst College football. I mean it, it was it was really weak action. Anyway, enough enough about the, the Super Bowl. But it was uh it was a good night for the president and, and the media people who are running around saying that he had a bad night, it just it just erodes their credibility for anybody who has any interest in honesty and for part of their brand whatever that means for them to be that they'll tell it like it is if you came away from that speech last night as a journalist as a democrat whomever and you said that it was really ineffective and that trump you know it was terrible or whatever you're just making yourself look bad it was a fantastic speech i give it an a and maybe even you go a plus although i like to reserve those for special occasions there is a conservative alternative to all those far left, progressive, super lib email services out there. OK, you know how they operate. The big guys in Silicon Valley, they take your information, they sell your information, they scan your information. And oh, by the way, the money they're making from all that, 
they use to support stuff that you hate. That's why I go with iPatriots.us. iPatriots.us is secure and private and does not have any of the liberal nonsense attached to it. Your email and files are safe with iPatriots premium antivirus, anti-spam, 256-bit encryption, and it's compatible with the mobile devices that you got, and they don't decide to push progressive nonsense on you. There's a new offer here for iPatriots. Enter promo code BUCK. Just sign up for month-to-month service today, and you'll get the first month free. You won't be charged until your second month of service at the specified month-to-month rate, and you can cancel any time. Input your desired iPatriots email address during checkout. Again, enter promo code BUCK at iPatriots.us now. From our CBS News uh, instant poll here following the president's State of the Union, 76% of speech watchers said they approved of what they heard, 72% said they approved of the president's ideas for immigration. That seems pretty darn positive, doesn't it? Here's a CNN poll. Play clip 11. But look at this. A very positive reaction from those who watched the speech tonight. 59% very positive. 17% somewhat positive. 23% negative. So, you know, the, the, the numbers don't lie here, right? Well, while we had that, that media montage for you before, but people, oh, Trump, it was terrible. He's so bad. Bull. It was a fantastic speech. It was an excellent, excellent speech. And they liked him on immigration. And this is really important. You know, I know that we look at this shutdown situation and we're supposed to take away from it. Oh, you know, Pelosi's the master negotiator, the master legislator, all this stuff. Truth is, the more people know, and there's a lot of unwinding of the falsehoods, right? The more people know about what's happening with illegal immigration, the more they agree with Trump. The more people know about what's going on at our southern border and the illegals and the cartels and the human smuggling and the drugs, the more they agree with Trump. It's becoming irrefutable, even for the anti-Trump media. I mean, they may not say this out loud, but they know that Trump is winning on immigration. Trump is right on immigration. And the American people are picking up on this. This could have big implications for 2020 because whoever Trump runs against, he is just going to be able to wipe the floor with them. Any Democrat on immigration, absolutely wipe the floor. The only maybe exception is actually Bernie Sanders because Bernie put aside that he likes socialism and he wants to help, you know, the people with the millionaires and the billionaires and the taxes. And Yeah, right. Bernie takes a more pro labor position in this country and therefore understands that supply and demand applies to the labor market and dumping a lot of low-wage workers on the country through illegal immigration does not have uh, you know it, it does not go without cost it does not go without cost um, one other thing that came up last night that that's just fascinating to me the media likes to hold themselves up as the firefighters of democracy, right? They're just there to make sure that, you know, everything is going to be okay. They're on the front lines of the truth. When, as I've been saying, and other people started to say enemy of truth, it was on this show first, where I said, don't call them the enemy of the people, because then they all whine and say, oh, it sounds so stupid. Call them the enemies of truth, because the mainstream media is the enemy of truth. But they say you know, that CNN had their whole apples versus bananas uh, campaign and there's uh, this focus on how Trump uh, 
We're always hearing from the media about how Trump is wrong when it comes to facts. And what we see from the fact checkers is an embarrassment. These fact checkers, so-called fact, check, uh, fact checkers in the media cannot help themselves. They will find a way, even when Trump is saying something that is true, even when he's right, they will find a way to make it seem like what he said isn't true, even if it is accurate. You know, you go through this and time and again, here, let me give you a few. There's actually a, uh, what is it? This is it. Yeah. John Nolte over at Breitbart pulled up a few of these and you look at them and they keep doing things like they'll say, here we go. Here's, here's the fact check. President Trump said that the United States was making it clear to China that it can no longer steal jobs and intellectual property from American companies. This is true. Uh, Mr. Trump has placed punishing tariffs or whatever. And then the fact check says, uh, President Trump, sorry, President Trump is a uh, claim that a border barrier in San Diego almost completely ended illegal crossings. New York Times says this is misleading. Border apprehensions decreased by 91%, yada, yada. But according to the Congressional Research Service, the primary fence by itself did not have a discernible impact on the influx of unauthorized aliens coming across the border. This is idiocy. How do you prove? I mean, they build a fence, crossings uh, decrease 91%, and they're saying, well, but we can't prove the fence is the reason the crossings decreased. Well, gee, are we just going to separate cause and effect here? Here's another fact check from the New York Times. President Trump claimed the American troops have been fighting the Middle East for almost 19 years. This is false. It has been almost 18 years. Okay, I mean, you know, thanks for fact-checking that, but, you know, the, 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 obviously the, 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 that's, a, that's an, honest, an honest error. I think that they could, they could ease it up a little bit. Um, there are so many of these. My, one of my, when I say my favorites, one of the most egregious ones, I was trying to find this when I was, I was talking. All these fact-checks where they, they're just dishonest, and it's so clear, it's so clear that they do not care that they're obviously part of here we go trump claimed that holocaust survivors this was a real thing from the washington post trump claimed that holocaust survivors viewed the american soldiers liberating dachau as angels they gave him four pinocchios you know why the liberating forces consisted entirely of human beings they are fact-checking rhetorical flourish they are fact-checking figures of speech and even when they fact check something and it turns out that it is factually accurate they will add this other layer to it of well yes that's true but yes that's true but that's not fact checking that's editorializing that's a very different thing, right? It is not the same thing to do a fact check as it is to say, well, yeah, but I don't like it. Here's the, one of the pieces. Uh, this is from David Harsanyi. Uh, the state of American fact checking is completely useless. With a veneer of impartiality, fact checkers engage in a uniquely dishonest style of partisanship. And yeah, that, it, it, this is what they do. He, he goes through how they do this. Uh Partisan talking point masquerading as a fact check. That's one thing they do. Fact checking subjective political assertions. You know, I'm the best. I'm the best pizzeria in the world is not a fact checkable thing. If I own a pizzeria, I'm allowed to say that, you know, that that's my opinion, man. 
they do this all the time, though. They act like morons just so they can have some opening to, quote, fact check Trump, when really what they mean is opinion check Trump. They don't like what he says. They don't like how he says it. And so with this this falsehood of a factual inaccuracy, they will try to undermine him and, and go after him. It's uh, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. But yeah, the fact checkers are ridiculous. PolitiFact, all these uh, Washington Post, all the fact checkers, they're, they're just yet another politicized partisan instrument. And they were making fools of themselves last night. I give the fact checkers a million Pinocchios. How about that? We do have to have control of our borders. You've got to say to the undocumented workers, you have to say, look, you've broken the law. You didn't come here the way you were supposed to. So this is not going to be a free ride. It's not going to be some instant amnesty. What's going to happen is you are going to pay a significant fine. You are going to learn English. You are going to you are going to go to the back of the line so that you don't get ahead of somebody who was in Mexico City applying legally. All of that is a lie. That was Obama back in 2009 talking about illegal immigration. And isn't it fascinating how he he says, look, we need to control our borders and illegal immigrants did something wrong because he knows that that's what the American people think. We're not okay with illegal immigration. We don't think that this is just something that people should be able to do. But the pretense that we're united on that falls apart when you listen to these other things that he says about you're going to pay a fine. You're going to go to the back of the line. You're going to none of that is true. They're not they're not going to be any fines. In fact, a lot of people believe that if you if you legalize illegals, they will they will try to get retroactive tax benefits for the work that they've done here. I mean, there's going to be so many ways they're going to get on Obamacare. I mean, there's so many ways that they will they will immediately benefit. And the things that he says about the enforcement mechanisms, about what they'll do to prevent these things from happening uh, again, right, will prevent this kind of illegal immigration from occurring. None of that is going to come through. None of that is a reality. None of that is serious. Right. So, you know, here we have a circumstance where Obama back in 2009, 10 years ago, 10 years ago, was saying undocumented workers have broken the law, you know, illegal aliens. They've broken the law. It's a problem. We can't be OK with this. We don't like this, et cetera, et cetera. OK, fine. And then beyond that, uh, beyond that, you go to today and you hear what Trump is saying about it. And and why is it that Trump's position on this is considered immoral, racist, evil and terrible when the only real difference between Trump and Obama on immigration is that Trump means what he says and says what he means. Obama says things doesn't mean them, and some of the things he says aren't true. Here's what Trump said on the border and illegal immigration last night. Play seven. This is a moral issue. The lawless state of our southern border is a threat to the safety, security, and financial well-being of all America. 
Tonight, I am asking you to defend our very dangerous southern border out of love and devotion to our fellow citizens and to our country. Wealthy politicians and donors push for open borders while living their lives behind walls and gates and guards. Working-class Americans are left to pay the price for mass illegal immigration. Tolerance for illegal immigration is not compassionate. It is actually very cruel. What about what Trump says is wrong there? It's true. The Pelosi's of the world, the wealthy, disconnected, elitist politicians and media personalities and, and Hollywood types. And, you know, they all say that they want open borders and but they don't live in neighborhoods where people who are illegal are going to live. They might have illegals as as cooks or maids or gardeners, as many of them, I'm sure, have and probably still do. But they're not going to be affected. Their day to day life won't be affected negatively because of the drain on schools and hospitals. I mean, just just go to it. Go to a city emergency room. I told you when, when I had to go to an eye hospital for an eye emergency, all these people there that are in line. This is in New York City. And they're yeah, a lot of some of them are, are there and, and they're on Medicaid. But I can tell from talking to them and, and hearing them because you're behind them in line. And you can hear the discussions going on that, you know, they don't have status. And and they're there to get pretty basic medical care for, you know, eye stuff, whatever, whatever may be, whatever may be the, the reason. I mean, they're, they're getting essentially prescription glasses in some cases. Well, if you're sitting there and you, you know, want someone to pull a pencil out of your eyeball, you don't really want to have to sit behind 100 people who are there because they want to see if they need reading glasses. But that's what happens in ERs. Standard medical care in urban parts of the country, in major cities, a lot of it is with people that are illegal aliens because they're not going to qualify for health insurance. So where do they go? And they're not going to qualify for Medicaid. So they go to the ER. This is what happens. And I just wish there was greater honesty when we're talking about the immigration issue with, one, what the Democrats have been saying for a long time their positions are, and and also what, what the realities of illegal immigration across the country really are like for people. Uh, you know, o- Obama was saying illegal immigration was bad, but then he said, oh, you know, and, and people need to be punished who are here illegally, but none of the punishments were real, and they just wanted amnesty. Because the only certainty, as we know from what happened with Reagan back in 1986, the only certainty is the amnesty. Everything else is up for discussion, debate, lawsuits. They were still having court cases as of 2011 relating to the Reagan amnesty from 1986. Okay, think about that. You, you're going to tell me that DACA and DAPA and this other stuff that they're proposing, deferred action for the ch- for childhood arrivals, right, for the dreamers, you think it's just going to stop at the dreamers? That's, a, that's laughable. But the Democrats used to lie about how they want a secure border and they wanted punishment. Now they just, they just are so close to open borders that it's hard for them to even keep a straight face when they talk about this. I mean, the question that I always want to pose to Democrats is, why do, you dis- why do you disapprove of illegal immigration? You think illegal immigrants are better than Americans? All they do is help the economy. 
less crime than, than Americans? You think illegal immigrants are better than Americans. So why shouldn't we just want, and there's no downside, why shouldn't we want an endless flow of illegal immigrants into this country, illegal aliens? I want to know what Nancy Pelosi's answer to that is. You know, they'd stammer, oh, yeah, we, we have a process. They always fall back on there's a process and, and we want an orderly system, but that's just a talking point. They don't care what the process is. They just fall back on that because they can't actually get it. They don't want to go on record and say that illegal immigration does result in crime, does result in problems, smug, human smuggling, enriching the cartels, you know, all kinds of misery and suffering that comes from this process. They don't want to talk about any of that. So what Obama used to be able to say, though, is now racist for any Republicans to say. Anyone who makes the claim that illegal immigration should end and that we should take action to completely shut it down, they are now open to charges of racism because the Democrats no longer feel the need to even say that stuff. They just won't talk about it. I, I am concerned here that the uh, the Republican Party is going to get its way once again because there will be a lot of talk about, oh, if Trump declares an emergency and it goes in the courts, they'll say, oh, well, we tried really hard. It's not over. It's not over. The, the president should do everything in his power up to and including not just a declaration of, a, of emergency, but just say, build the wall. Just do it. And if you see, you know, Ann Coulter, man, she is feisty. She is a fi- and she's a smart, she's a smart cookie and she is feisty. And she's running around saying, why doesn't Trump just tell them to do it? And I think that's a good question. I also I talked to the uh, governor of uh, of Puerto Rico today and the governor we interviewed on my show. The government, the governor said, uh, you know, that he essentially is worried that Trump is going to raid funds earmarked for Puerto Rican recovery for the wall. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen. But. You know, people are already aware that there might be some ways that the president could, under existing appropriations, try to get additional fence built. I mean, I I think that would be a great thing. I'm I'm all for it uh, if he could. But it does not it's not enough to just throw in the towel and say, all right, you know, it's now in the courts. We'll leave it there. Uh uh. Trump needs to do everything that he can here, uh, because this issue is also a reminder of what can government solve anything? Can government keep its faith and keep covenants with its own citizens? You know, why do we go through all of this? Why do we care about politics? Why do we vote for these people? Why do we have this system of, of you know, participation in, in place? You know, so that's, I think, all very, very important. Um, that's important to look at now. Uh, if, if Trump can't do this, what can he do? What is he able to do? The chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, said he was going to launch a deep investigation into not only Russia, but did you say Adam Schiff? Adam Schiff. Oh, said he said, said never he heard of him. Said that he would that wouldn't be partisan, would it? Not, would that be partisan? But not only into Russia, but into your personal financial transactions. Do we get your reaction? Uh, on what basis would he do that? He has no basis to do that. He's just a, a political hack who's trying to build a name for himself. And I think that's fine because that's what they do. But uh, there would be no reason to do that. No other politician has to go through that. It's called presidential harassment. And it's unfortunate. And it really does hurt our country. It is presidential harassment. 
One of the most damaging legacies of this era in American politics, one that's going to stay with us, I think, for a long time, is the obvious naked utilization of law enforcement powers and authority for political purposes at the, at the very highest level, both going after your political enemies at the highest level, in this case, Trump, the president, and people at the highest levels of law enforcement, FBI and the DOJ, pushing this through and allowing this to happen. You know, Jeff Sessions, as much as I like Jeff, should have seen what was happening here and stepped in. There was never a need for a special counsel in the first place. This was an obvious political hit from the beginning. And, and this is what, you know, th this is a recurring theme. This is what Democrats do. They turn to us and they say, oh, but aren't you, aren't you going to be the people who abide by the rules? Don't you want to be the honorable people, the good people? They use our honor and integrity against us all the time. They say, oh, don't you respect the, the need for answers about Russian intervention in the election? Russian intervention in the election was a joke. If it wasn't a joke, the Obama administration wouldn't have let it go without a peep until Hillary lost. It was only when Hillary lost that all of a sudden we're supposed to care so much about Russian intervention, Russian memes on Facebook. I mean, I don't even like this Russian interference in the election. That overstates the problem. You know, what we're really talking about here is some Russian fake news on websites. That, that's, that's the huge threat to our democracy. Some Russian fake news to websites and, and hacking of DNC emails that all they really had to do with was Bernie Sanders getting completely, uh, you know, blanked over by Hillary Clinton's people and the Democrat apparatus. But that wasn't some big game changer. And we all knew that was the case. I mean, the Podesta emails, there's nothing in there that was that important. All it showed is that they were completely in the tank, that the Democrats and the, the arbiters of the Democrat primary were in the tank for Hillary. But this whole notion of, oh, we need a full accounting of Russian interference in the election. Here's the full accounting. The Russians messed around, did some hacking here and there of, of personal email accounts or corporate email accounts and, and put some stuff on Facebook that supported different political candidates to try to sow further divisions in an already very divided country. I mean, it's just, this is, it's all complete crap. It's complete crap. And it, and it now is in the phase, and I have some, uh, I have something to tell you about. I'll, I'll hold it till the top of the next hour, but I've gotten some information recently about this that I think is very interesting. Uh, some information you probably won't hear anywhere else. Uh, or at least, well, you'll have to wait and see. But the Schiff maneuver here and what the Democrats are going to do is they're all going to try to make a name for themselves by being the ones who are the most ruthless with, uh, with the law enforcement and investigatory, uh, investigative powers that they have. They're going to go after Trump in every way that they can. They're just going to try to bury him in legal nonsense. They're just going to try to take all of his people. And it, this is lawfare. This is lawfare. This is what Democrats do because these people have no scruples. They have no principles. They don't care what they're doing to the system. And a, a major legacy of what they're doing to Trump is that people now know 
that those in power on the left will abuse the law itself. They will abuse law enforcement and the discretion of prosecutors to go after their political enemies. This is third world banana republic stuff. This is not what you would expect to be happening in the United States of America. And we should be greatly troubled that this is going on in such an obvious, obvious fashion. Mueller's going to have nothing. I mean, I've got more for you on that in a second. The investigations aren't going to end. The investigations, as far as the liberals are concerned, are just beginning. They're going to go after this on Trump and that on Trump. And, you know, what's amazing is they're, they're never going to get anything that ends his presidency. And all they're really doing is radicalizing their left wing base even further with hatred against this president and venom against this president. That's that's what they're doing. Um, and and they, they then pretend to be the ones that want, you know, a return to normalization and politics. They pretend to be the ones who want things to to be, you know, want this country to be more united. They don't want a united country. They are doing everything they can to tear down Trump and everybody who voted for him, everybody who believes in what he's doing. You know, someone told me today, uh, somebody that I really I really like and respect and, and is, uh, it was in an off the record, so I'm not going to say who it was, but uh, I said, you know, Trump is an imperfect vessel, but he's an imperfect vessel for a righteous cause. I mean, I, I, I want to make a bumper sticker of that and just, just hand it out to people. That's exactly right. And no vessel is going to be perfect. And, and that's what I think people that support Trump have understood for a long time. The politicians that present themselves as beyond reproach and just interested in being public servants that have never made any mistakes, it's all, it's all a facade. It's a fraud. Everybody is flawed. Yes, not everyone's as flawed as everybody else. I mean, there are degrees, but... So Trump is, is not, not a perfect person. Not, nobody's a perfect person. What is he trying to do in office? And how is that benefiting the American people? As I've told you, the more successful he is, the more the Democrats hate him for it. Got to start every day the best way with some Black Rifle coffee. How could you at this point not want to taste Black Rifle coffee? I've been telling you about it for how many months, how many years now? This is my coffee of choice it's delicious and i'm a little bit of a coffee snob i'm not gonna lie i don't like the gross swill that you get in some places i like good coffee and i like a company owned and operated by veterans who love this country are patriots and are building a great american brand also black rifle gives a portion of their sales to veteran and first responder causes so these guys are getting it done at every level wake up with america's coffee Black Rifle Coffee. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck and receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. Again, wake up with America's coffee, Black Rifle Coffee. Go to BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. You'll get 15% off your order. These are the guys you should be drinking coffee from every day. Well, I think it's a matter of perspective, and that's the president's perspective. If, if you uh, opened up a newspaper or turned on a television set every day for two straight years and saw accusations that you were an agent of the Russian government or colluding with Russia or obstructing justice despite the absence of any evidence or charges to that, you might call it a ridiculous investigation too. So do I think it's fair for him to refer to it that way from his perspective? Absolutely. Of course the Mueller investigation is ridiculous. I'm not going to be satisfied when it stops either. I've got some things to tell you, team. Some things to tell you for uh, 
for your ears only, you across the country and around the world. Um, I have it on good authority. I can't tell you, obviously, I can't tell you the source, but I have it on very good authority that the Mueller probe, and you've never heard me say this before, uh, the Mueller probe is rapidly coming to a close. Um, as in, if everything goes according to, now that could change, and everyone, the thing is, they always tell you this, oh, but, you know, when you talk to people that are that are in the know on this, they will say, well, if they open another, you know, open another file or another pull another thread or whatever, as of right now, the Mueller probe is going to be over this month. And I have that from people who know. The Mueller probe will be over this month. I also think that you can expect that there will be some, and uh, on this one, I still need to do a little bit of additional sourcing and get into this a little bit further. But when we know the full scope of how out of control some elements in the FBI it was really the FBI, by the way. I mean, DOJ was involved, but there, there were, at Comey's FBI, there was rot. I mean, there was really bad stuff going on. Political, targeted, bad, bad stuff. And I know I'm, I'm speaking slightly in vague terms here, but I, I don't want to tell you things that are not rock solid yet. And I've been telling you for a long time, and you've heard it from others as well, that the that Comey's, Comey's a dirtbag. The stuff he's been doing is, you know, the stuff he did rather, and then even when he left uh, left his position, he's shown us exactly who he is. He's a, a partisan hack who's only out for himself, and he did tremendous damage to public confidence in the FBI. There's worse stuff. There's one story in particular that I, I'm still trying to track down. I'm still trying to make sure that I source it out before I... I might break it on the hill and then be able to tell you about it here on the on the show, or rather, I'll break it here on the show and I'll have it posted on the hill. Um, but the FBI was was running some rogue political operations, really, and and needs to be held to account for it. If if what I'm told is true, and you know I don't I don't push things that are are weak or that are innuendo or conspiracy or any of that stuff, it's really bad. It's really bad what was going on with the FBI. And uh, there needs to be instant. See, here's the thing. There needs to be institutional accountability for it. There needs to be an understanding that at the top level of the FBI, there were decisions made among multiple senior FBI officials that cast a lot of uh, doubt on the FBI's ability to operate as a nonpartisan law enforcement investigation our premier law enforcement investi- uh, law enforcement agency, rather, in this country, uh, our premier one. I, I think that uh, when people know the full scope and scale of what's going on, they will be utterly appalled. I mean, they will just be in shock. Um, so that's coming, and it's coming relatively soon. And uh, this Mueller probe will end. And when it ends, we will see that the Democrats, just as they've been exposed for being complete phonies, hypocrites, hacks with this political catastrophe that's been unfolding in Virginia, where they might, I mean, by all by all rights, they should have three senior, the, the three most senior uh, uh, senior office holders in the state of Virginia should be resigning. All three of them by liberal rules. I'm not even saying that I agree with those rules necessarily, but by liberal rules, 
All three of them should be resigning and a Republican should be taking their place. It's not going to happen. In fact, I think none of them are going to resign. That's the new, which just shows us this is why this is why you can't allow Democrats to play this. Oh, don't you have scruples and morals, Republicans? Why don't you get more angry about when Trump fibs about this or that? Why don't you turn on the president when he tells a little a little lie about this or that? Don't you have principles? Yeah, we do have principles. We also know what you're trying to do across the other side of the aisle, Democrats. And we know how you play the game. Rules for us, not for you. And we're not going to let that happen anymore. With uh, with Trump, though, what you'll see is that these uh, the Mueller probe was always, was always, always, always nothing but an excuse and a pretext to go after Trump. Because even when the probe does not bring any charges against Trump or any of his top people, uh, when there's nothing to see for collusion, there was no collusion, it was a lie, a lie, a lie, even with all of that, they will continue. The Democrats will will act like there was Russia collusion. They'll say there need to be House investigations. They need the Southern District of New York, which is full of libs, by the way, full of libs, the Southern District of New York. They need that to continue investigating the president, continue investigating his deals. They will not stop. We are entering a period of trench warfare against the Trump administration. They don't care what the truth is. So just grab your helmet and get ready. Get in the trench with me. It's going to get crazy out there. And uh, even after the Mueller probe ends. AARP is very well known, right? It's senior organization. Get some uh, discounts and stuff. But the part that's not as well known about AARP is that it's a liberal organization. You know, think of this like you think of so many other institutions where they actually have progressive politics, even if they don't say so. That's why I recommend that you stick with an organization that gives you all the upside and also conservative policy. AMAC. Why AMAC? Well, AMAC has over 1.5 million Americans who have joined, and they realize that their membership in AMAC pushes for the same kinds of policies, whether it's fixing the border or advocating for seniors, that they want. And I think that AMAC is good for you, too. You should check it out. Join AMAC today as they fight the good fight. You can join at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. Because forget A-A-R-P. AMAC is better. It's better for you. It's better for America. To those people who are criticizing the president, how well did you do with Rocket Man? So, yeah, I'm very hopeful that one meeting, uh, this new meeting, will lead to a breakthrough. Perception the question is, speech. why is he meeting with Trump and he didn't meet with anybody else? Interesting. Maybe he believes that well, he's let serious. Me tell you why. I think he's scared. <laughs> if you want to get this guy's attention, he's not like Iran. Iran's on a religious mission. You know, if they ever get nukes, they'll use them. This guy is trying to have an insurance policy to keep the mafia state going. But if Trump gives him an alternative between uh, life without nuclear weapons that is safe and secure, he'll take it if the other alternative is to lose your life. So here's where foreign policy needs a bit more attention on the right. Um, We need to stop accepting that what people have done in the past, including on our our side, so to speak, the GOP, Republicans, previous Republican presidents, that just because something was the way that it was done, it does not mean it should always continue to be done that way. For example, North Korea. There's a lot of criticism right now of President Trump from Democrats and some Republicans on his outreach to Kim Jong-un in North Korea for talks. 
Now, before I even get into where I think this is going and how well it's going to go or not well it's going to go, let's understand that stretching back to Kim Jong-il in the 1990s and the earliest days of the North Korean nuclear program, successive administrations have been clowned on this issue. They have all looked foolish. Madeleine Albright gave like the signed basketball to Kim Jong-il and there was, you know, the Clinton administration and then the Bush administration tried to tighten the screws a little bit and the Obama administration really did nothing. I mean, the Obama administration talked about a pivot to Asia, but it's a pivot that never really occurred. And as I look at this now, uh, I see that there's a pushback, a pushback from I think some of the the previous foreign policy gurus, such as they are, some of the the, the foreign policy consensus makers out there, that Trump takes this non traditional approach. Well, you have to remember that the approaches of the past, which would have been the traditional approaches in North Korea, have failed. The North Korean nuclear and missile program has advanced without any meaningful cessation for the last going on 30 years. Just keeps going up and up and up. Their missiles are being shot further and further. Their nuclear capability is increasing and their ability to put a miniaturized nuclear warhead on a missile that they could then fire at the continental United States or Hawaii or Guam, for that matter. You know, think of all or Japan or South. I mean, South Korea already they could hit with. They don't need to use nukes to destroy South Korea. Uh, But this is where you have to separate yourself from what the so-called consensus is because the consensus has failed. There's no question the consensus has failed. People who say that North Korea has been contained don't know what they're talking about. Yes, North Korea hasn't been able to seize territory outside of its borders, but North Korean aggression has continued. Its nuclear program has advanced. And until Trump came along, there was really no hope of anything happening to stop this other than an actual war with North Korea, an actual fight with the North Koreans, which is not something that we would want for a whole myriad of reasons, not the least of which is the massive losses of human life on the North Korean side of the border or South Korean side of the border. We could lose troops. Who knows where else they'd fire missiles, chemical weapons, biological weapons. I mean, the North Korean state is effectively a state built for the purpose of warfare to unite the Korean peninsula. That is that is the reason for the existence of the North Korean state. I mean, that is why the North Korean regime believes that it 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 has a right to stay in power. So who knows what they have stockpiled and and what they'd be willing to do, and what they'd be willing to use in any kind of a conflict. Trump has tried to take us off that pathway and he may fail. He may not. But the, the important point is that. You see that it took somebody like Trump to come along and look at this problem with fresh eyes without being concerned about, hey, hey, do the people at the think tanks and the different international journalists, do they think that this is smart? Do they agree with what I'm doing? He comes at this from a very different perspective. He says, nope, that's not the way to look at this. Doesn't matter what those people think. It doesn't matter how they view the problem set because they've been wrong for a very long time. He comes in and says, how do you disrupt this? How do you change it? He looks at this the way a businessman would look at a failing restaurant or a failing development project. You don't just show up and say, well, 
the people that are supposed to know stuff, they say that this is how I have to do it. Well, if the people who are supposed to know stuff are getting it wrong, why are you listening to them? And this is something that is particularly uh, powerful about the way Trump approaches a a lot of different problems. Uh, So Lindsey Graham is right when he says that these people, the the, the criticism of Trump on this issue comes from people who don't really have a leg to stand on. All right. And so that's part one. And another part of this is you see the the outrage at uh, at Tulsi Gabbard, who is running for president of the Democrat side. And, you know, I kind of like Tulsi Gabbard. You know, she serves. There's some stuff about Tulsi that I'm I'm kind of a fan of. It has been pointed out that she looks a little bit like Miss Molly. People have said this to me. I, I agree. I mean, Miss Molly is lovelier in my in my opinion, of course. But uh, there's some there's some uh, similarity between the two. So there's that. Uh, but she also is on the left, a little bit of a rogue when it comes to foreign policy. She had this meeting with Assad uh, years ago. The left has never let her f- uh, forget it. And they're very, very uh, clear on on how they don't want Tulsi Gabbard to really even be a part of the Democrat. You know, she's one of the few candidates who's come out on the Democrat side of things. And they're not saying, oh, she's adding to the no, 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 no. They don't want her to be a part of this at all. They don't want her name to be in this race. They clearly are um, not in favor of having Tulsi Gabbard's viewpoint represented. And here I'll just play a very short soundbite for you of something that got them really upset. And I think she's actually speaking a truth that very few people are willing to speak these days, and it, it crosses over into a somewhat Trump, uh, Trumpian view of our foreign policy goals. Play 14. Assad is not the enemy of the United States because the United uh, Syria does not pose a direct threat to the United States. She got hammered for that. I mean, they are absolutely all over her for this. And, you know, on Morning Joe, there's this whole back and forth with, uh, with you know, with, with Mika and, and Joe. And she says, you know, he's saying, well, do we, you know, do we uh, call him an adversary or an enemy or what word would you use? They're, they're trying to soundbite foreign policy, which is not usually a good thing to do. It's, the complexities of foreign policy usually make soundbite approaches Uh, insufficient but Assad is not in fact Assad is not in fact a an enemy of the United States in the sense that we should be making war on him Assad is not a and uh, people go oh Buck Assad is so horrible yeah Assad's horrible a lot of people are horrible are we are we going to go to war with everybody who's terrible out there Are, are we about to go to war with you know, would we have gone to war with Zimbabwe? Terrible country in terms of the regime. Are we going to go to war with Cuba? Are we going to go to war with, you know, when you say the term enemy, you could talk about an opponent or, or an adversary, but that doesn't really matter. When you start saying enemy, now you're talking about someone that we have to take action against because they are a threat to us, right? Your enemy is a threat to you. Is the Assad regime a threat to the United States right now? I think the answer is no. 
Is the Assad regime a problem for us? Is it uh, is it a vile, detestable uh, regime that we wish was gone? Yes. Yes. Um, so that, I think, is where Tulsi Gabbard is trying to draw some kind of a, you know, some kind of a line in the sand, if you will, because Tulsi Gabbard is saying, look, Assad, it's not U.S. foreign policy for Assad to be overthrown by force. We're not involved in that. And we don't even want that to happen. Here's the truth. And she gets at this. And this goes right in the face of a lot of the foreign policy media consensus out there. We don't want the Assad regime to collapse if it means a resurgence of Islamist factions and forces, which are the dominant. The second you get out of Kurdish areas and the people in the media, they don't understand this and they don't know and they don't care. The second you leave Kurdish areas, you cannot have a Kurdish force in charge for long. You cannot have the Kurds overseeing Sunni Arabs in Syria. What that means is that if the Assad regime were to, let's say, completely collapse, it's not like we could count on our Kurdish allies that fought against ISIS to go all the way to the Mediterranean. Plus, the Turks would completely lose their minds over this. Assad is the government of Syria. He has won the Syrian civil war. Do we have to have diplomatic relations with him? Do we have to be cozy with them? Of course not. But is there something that we need to accept here as we are making peace with the Taliban? The Trump administration is trying to do that right now. We should also understand that, you know, we have to work within the realities of the world that we live in and not the world that we wish we live in. And I think Tulsi Gabbard brings an interesting voice into this foreign policy discussion. It's so easy to say Assad is terrible. Yeah, we all know that Assad is terrible. Now what? Trump, I think, realizes this, which is why he says we're not staying there. This is not our fight. We're not going to continue to be propping up these uh, not just, you know, the, the, the different governments, but keeping these countries from completely imploding. Not our fight. Our men and women shouldn't be doing this. It's not their mission set anymore. So a little bit of foreign policy heresy out there can be a good thing. We'll be right back. I got some very tragic news today I, I have to share with all of you. Uh, some of you probably already know, especially those of you who uh, know me from my days at The Blaze. Doc Thompson uh, Doc Thompson, who is uh, a veteran of many radio stations and somebody that I, I worked with a lot uh, back at the Blaze, uh, he was he was killed. He was killed earlier today. Um, it was a shock when I saw this. I've had I've had people from the Blaze reaching out all day today, and they're just reeling, as you can imagine. Doc was, it was a terrible accident. It's a terrible tragedy. Doc was out uh, jogging. And from what I was told, he was jogging with his uh, headphones in and did not uh, hear. He, he crossed some train tracks and, and did not know, uh, didn't hear that the train was coming. Uh, so Michael Doc Thompson, 49 years old, uh, has, has passed away. Um, he was, he was killed. Uh, Glenn Beck wrote, there are no words. Doc will be greatly missed. Our prayers go out to his family. And he was a one in a million, one in a million talents. Um, Doc and I knew each other pretty well. We had worked together for, for years at The Blaze. In fact, we even at one point had talked about doing a show together at The Blaze that we were going to call The Blaze After Dark, which we were going to be having beers, 
for me, tequila, and uh, sit around and talk about news of the day with a few of our fellow Blaze, saltier Blaze folks. And we, we even gave it a shot one day. We did a, uh, a sit-down radio room with Doc Thompson, uh, Skip Lacombe, myself, uh, Jay Severin, and Glenn Beck coming in and out when he could during a, an event out in, uh, out in Salt Lake City. This, this is one of those shocks that it, it, when it happens, you have a hard time believing that it's happened. Uh, I was stunned today. You know, Doc was a, a good man. He was a colleague, and, and we, were, uh, we were friends for years. And I just can't imagine, you know, he's got a wife, and uh, he's got a wife and family that he leaves behind. So very, very tough. Um, there is a GoFundMe page that's up. Uh, I know that the family is in a is in a difficult spot right now, not just emotionally and, you know, that with the tragedy they're dealing with, but also financially. I've been told that, you know, this is going to be a real burden. So anything you can do, I know a lot of you are, are Doc Thompson listeners, and a lot of you are people that have enjoyed what he did for for so many years anything you can do to help i'm sure would be greatly greatly appreciated and obviously just even your your prayers uh for his family would be uh, very much appreciated you know it's been uh a tough couple of months in this corner of conservative media that i operate in uh, we lost brie payton to the flu and brie was a frequent contributor to my show on Hill TV and was somebody that I was looking forward to working with more. And, uh, you know, she was young and, and just a total sweetheart, absolutely beautiful, died of the flu, uh, cons- rising conservative media star. And now Doc Thompson, another conservative media uh, personality that I've worked with for and known for many years. And uh, he got killed out for a jog, hit by a train. You just don't know, folks. I don't have any insights. I don't have any uh, particular wisdom to shed here. You, you just don't know. Uh, every day is precious, and every moment you can spend with the people that matter in your life is something that you should try to cherish as much as possible because stuff like this happens. I feel terrible for his family, but uh, I, I just know he's in a better place, and... I'm sorry that I'll never get a chance again to do another radio segment with my old friend, Doc Thompson. So uh, we'll be back in a moment. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Another day, another roll call, my friends. You know how I love to hear from all of you across the country and in some cases around the world. I feel like we haven't had a a call in from Team Buck South Korea or Team Buck Afghanistan in a little while. So if you're out there listening, you know, let's let's get a little shout out. Team Buck Austria. Ja, guten Tag. Team Buck Germany. Also, ja, guten Tag. What else we have? We've had, obviously, Team Buck Canada, eh? And some other places. It basically, if you live in an English-speaking country, you're in a military base, or uh, Israel, then you pretty much might listen to this show. So that's, that's the good news. We got that going for us, which is nice. 
Let's get to it, my friends. First up here, Philip writes, Buck, I'm a bit younger than you. But we were in Iraq and Afghanistan at the same time. I've loved your show and have since the Saturday broadcasts, uh, since I started listening, rather, on your final Saturday broadcast. Oh, okay, cool. Like you, I'm a dog lover. We got Pepper shortly after my last deployment to Afghanistan, and she's helped me immensely with the demons that came back with me from overseas. This past Tuesday, February 5th, Pepper lost the use of her hind legs out of nowhere, and she needs surgery. I was wondering if you would share my GoFundMe with the team. My wife and I have our first baby on the way, so this is an unexpected expense that is not optional for me. I hate to ask the team for help, but I know it's hard to get help without asking. I appreciate anything you can do. Best, Phil. Uh, Phil, as we speak, I am sending this uh, to producer Mike, and we are going to put it up on uh, on our social platform so we can try to get the word out so you can see if you can get some help here. Thank you for your service, my friend, and thank you very much for um, reaching out and also for listening to the show. I do appreciate it. And it is uh, indeed posted on Facebook. Uh, and folks, I, I appreciate whenever you ask me for help with causes or to raise money, we, we do what we can, but there's there are limitations to how much I'm, I'm able to help. Look, I, I wish I had some of the uh, big time radio host money where I could just send any of you that really needed a check. But unfortunately, uh, I'm going to need some of you to send me a check at the rate we're going here. Alrighty, Just kidding. The show's kicking butt. I know. I know. Self-deprecating isn't always the way to go. Let's get back into our roll call here for a moment. Sorry, I had I, had, I posted that while we were on air. So it is it is up on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton and writes two things. First, I want to know who is backing AOC, who arranged for her to run for Congress. I don't believe a 28 year old bartender just decided one day to jump into the political big leagues. I'm sure it's a follow the money situation, but I haven't heard anyone ponder or dig into who is the power behind this woman. Second, regarding the New York abortion bill, all I can see in my mind's eye is Governor Cuomo's face and the Carl character in Ghost being dragged into the depths of hell by shadowy demons. Well, and that's pretty, it's a pretty intense scene. And I think I know what you're going for with that. Uh, as to AOC, I, I don't know if there's anything really be, if there was anything behind her other than that she has really harnessed this know nothing socialist millennialism uh, that is popular because they control the different outlets of our culture. Unfortunately, the, the left has seized the telegraph office when it comes to, it's an old expression from the Russian Revolution, they've seized the telegraph office when it comes to um, all of the cultural programming that is mainstream. And that means that people like Ocasio-Cortez can honestly get away with not knowing very much, not being particularly well-read, and having some very damaging ideas for the country, but it's appealing to people who don't know any better. Sharon writes, this is the greatest state of the union since Reagan. And Sharon also writes, my favorite state of the union moments. It seemed like every time Nancy Pelosi stood up to clap, she checked the paper copy of the speech and was late sitting back down. Uh, yeah, Pelosi was checking the paper copy, obviously, as a little way of, I think, undermining the president. Like, oh, when is this going to end? But there's a fair amount of that going on, so there you have it. Uh, we have Buck. Oh, that's me. Don writes, Buck, check out U.S. Law Title 10, Section 824. 
It allows the military to build fences in drug corridors at the request at the request of any government agency. No emergency required. Uh, I I will check this out. It's on the Cornell.edu. Support for counter drug activities and activities counter transnational crime. This is currently the law. The Secretary of Defense may provide support for the counter drug activities or activities to counter transnational organized crime of any state department of any other department or agency of the federal government or any state, local, tribal or foreign law enforcement agency for any of the purposes set forth in the subsection. And then it goes into describe transnational organized crime. And yeah. Yeah, look, it's you're right. I've heard this before and you're giving me the specific statute. It is the law. The president can order them to build a fence. The president should order them to build the fence, uh, order the federal government to do so. But keep in mind that whether it's through a national emergency or the invocation of existing statute, they're still going to claim that this is illegal and they're still going to challenge it right away. So that's what I wanted to uh, just get out there as a response to what you're saying. Uh, Hold on a second here. We have Lance who writes, Buck, what up, fam? Keep up the good work. Your political analysis and sense of humor crack me up. You make my commute home much easier. By the way, if you want to get in phenomenal shape, start training with jujitsu. You'll be hulked out by summer. Thank you, Lance. Uh, Lance, jujitsu seems cool to me. I'm hoping that I can switch my schedule around here pretty soon where I don't lack knowledge about how to train and I don't lack the will. I do lack the time and the sleep. And I have for the last nine months or so which has been a frustration for me, but I think that's going to change soon. Uh, it's not going to change. It has nothing to do with this show, but we'll see what the future holds. Eric writes, Hey, Buck, speaking of Super Bowl commercials, people say the Verizon commercial was good. Yes, it was nice to recognize emergency services, but it was more of them kissing up the emergency services for when they got called out for throttling their service during the California wildfires. Also, I see you're coming to Fort Wayne, and you're going to be at Sweetwater Sound. If you love music, you will fall in love with Sweetwater. If you're looking for a good burger, you should try Bravas Best Burger in town. Love the show. Shields high, Eric. Indeed, I will be out in Fort Wayne, Indiana, coming up here in uh, April. I think the off the top of my head, i got to check what the date is, to be honest. Uh, oh, yes, April 13th. I'll be out there with uh, Todd Starnes and Tommy Laren. We'll be doing a conservative talk tank out there, just hanging out with folks, telling them what we see going on in politics, a lot of stuff. So if you're in the Fort Wayne, uh, Indiana area, or if you just want to swing by, uh, that's coming up in April. You can get tickets, and I'll have more for you on that when we get a bit closer. And certainly all of our Woe Land listeners out there, hey, all of you who know that your favorite radio show is on 9 Eastern to midnight in Fort Wayne, Indiana. That's your favorite. You should be sure to come out to that event. We will talk. We will hang out. It'll be a lot of fun. Christian writes, someone needs to get Eric off camera. He is tanked. Bad image. Um, Christian, I don't know who you mean, which Eric you mean. I don't know. I don't, are you, I don't know who you're talking about, but um, let me know. Um, thank you for the heads up. Uh, Mike writes, I've, I found this in an Irish pub uh, in uh, Wisconsin. Sexton single malt Irish whiskey. Indeed. Sexton single malt Irish whiskey. I, I'm going to tell you something. I do not love the Sexton single malt Irish whiskey logo because it is, um, 
a little macabre. And I think it's because a sexton, technically, technically a sexton is a uh, grave digger um, for a church. So, and then whenever I say that, I think of a friend of mine who told me that he went to a monster truck rally once and thought it was just amazing how many adorable little 10 year olds were yelling grave digger, grave digger with like the monster truck. Grave digger is apparently a thing. Um, But the sexton also collects the uh, alms at a church or the the offerings, not the alms, pardon me, the uh, offerings at a church and cleans up the church. He's kind of like the church janitor. So you are listening to the syndicated church janitor radio show here, the Buck Sexton show. Um, There you go. A sextant is a device that uses uh, astronomy, essentially, to tell you where you are on the sea. It's a nautical uh, a nautical early geolocation device, if you will. It's not really geolocation. You get the idea. Jesse writes, Buck, first trip to New York. I'm headed to New York on business. I've never been there before. I'm planning to visit the World Trade Center Memorial and grab some good grub somewhere. What do you recommend nearby? If you're in town, I'd be honored to meet you and buy you lunch. Um, VP quality for the company who make batteries for every guided munition in the U.S. arsenal. Wow, it's really cool. Your podcast is my co-pilot each week on my four-hour commute to work, uh, weekly commute to work. I appreciate your input in my trip to NYC. Cheers. Well, Jesse, very kind of you. Sounds like you got a super cool job, and I appreciate the offer. I live in D.C. now. I am a swamp dweller. I'm doing this show for you live from Washington, D.C. I'm not in New York, much to my chagrin. As to advice for you, oh, man. What to do? Yeah, go see the World Trade Center Memorial. It's incredible. It's well worth the time. Uh, absolutely something that I would I would recommend that you check out. If you're looking to grab lunch, I don't know of any great places. Uh, there's this whole new food gallery that's down near, you know, it's kind of a food mall. I think it's called Beekman Place or something like that. I've been once. It's new, very, very new. That has an incredible assortment of, of different kinds of restaurants. But I would say go to the World Trade Center Memorial and then make your way up into the West Village and into Chelsea. Uh, if the weather's nice enough, go for a walk on the High Line Park. Uh, you can check out Chelsea Market. These are all places. These are my kind of standard go-to uh, places to check out there. If you want a, a really good uh, Italian meal that's in the West Village, it's a really charming place. You can go to Mirandi. Uh, M-O-R-A-N-D-I. And if you want the best burger in New York, I would say go to J.G. Mellon's in the Upper East Side. But there's also, if you want a more pub feel downtown, you can go to Corner Bistro, which has been very famous for a long time. Uh, I love the uh, the Spotted Pig is really cool. You can check that place out too. All right, you know what? I'm going to, res- people are like Buck, it's for one guy's trip. I know, I'm sorry. I get excited about New York stuff. I'll write to you, my friend, Jesse. I'll, I'll give you some more recommendations here on Facebook. And yes, it is me who responds. For those of you who are always like, are you responding? Yes. Yes, I am. Team, an honor and a privilege to be here with you. Thank you for hanging out. I will talk to you more tomorrow. Shields high. By now, most of us have started racking our brains and it's getting to last minute, folks. What Valentine's gift is going to make her day or his day truly special? Well, with 1-800-Flowers.com, it's easy. It's almost already done for you. All you got to do is go to the site and check it out. Roses from 1-800-Flowers.com are a no-brainer. Right now, when you order early, you can get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $29.99 or double it to the 36-stem Enchanted Roses for $20 more. Look, 
don't tell anybody. This is what I'm sending to Miss Molly. It's going to make a special day out of this. Make this easy. This is what you want to do yourself, okay? To order the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $29.99 or double the roses for $20 more, go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, enter code BUCK. Again, order today and save. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com, radio icon, just click on that, and enter promo code BUCK today.